The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 44 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two episodes of Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. We'll begin after this short break. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, may have bounced around on three different networks in five years, but its creator, Blake Edwards, could be relied on to add a brilliant twist to an old genre. And it also starred Dick Powell, fresh from the movies, as Richard Diamond. The wisecracking, carefree gumshoe had an eye for a trim ankle, a penchant for getting mixed up with underworld characters, and smoked camels, the brand of one of the show's sponsors. Diamond also had a fine set of vocal cords, as did Dick Powell, who started out as a professional singer, and he performed a song at the end of most broadcasts. In essence, this was a light-hearted detective series, so if you took the program too seriously, you missed most of the fun. Homicide Lieutenant Walt Levinson bore the brunt of Diamond's put-downs, and Otis Ludlum, the dim-witted desk sergeant, added more humor. Sex appeal came courtesy of the red-headed Helen Asher, Diamond's wealthy girlfriend, who always offered solace after a long day of violence. It came to radio in 1949 and lasted until 1953. In 1957, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, made the transition to television, starring David Jansen in the lead and produced by Powell's Television Company. For a while, the beautiful legs of Diamond's secretary were provided by Mary Tyler Moore. Time now for the first of two episodes of Richard Diamond, Private Detective, in this first story, a truck driver has been killed by a hit-and-run driver. Diamond investigates. Here's Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective, in the Mike Burton case from July 5th, 1950. Listen, while the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. This is your Rexall family druggist, speaking to you for the 10,000 independent druggists who have made the word Rexall part of our own store names and put the orange and blue Rexall sign on our windows. We've done that because we recommend and sell the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. A good example of their quality is Bismarex, Rexall's popular antacid. 
Dismerex often relieves acid stomach within one minute. And because it's scientifically balanced ingredients vary in the time it takes them to dissolve in the stomach, the relief they give is not only quick but continuous and prolonged. Quality like that of Bismarex is what we family druggists are talking about when we tell you you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. Now your Rexall family druggist brings you another exciting half hour with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Come in. Uh, you, Mr. Richard Diamond? That's right, but keep it quiet and we'll split the reward. Well, my name is Tobias P. Briggs. He ducked as he edged through the door. If he hadn't, he'd have taken the whole wall with him. Nearly seven feet, going up with a pair of shoulders that made King Kong look like a before picture for dynamic tension. But being a guy who lives dangerously, I shook his hand, made a mental note to pick up my scattered knuckles, and offered him a chair. Thank you. Mr. Diamond, how much would it cost for you to help me? Well, I usually break my back for 100 a day in expenses. Oh, that's a lot of money. I break a lot of back. Let's talk some more, though. Guys your size usually don't need help. Well, I got the money. Been saving. You see, I wrestle two, maybe three times a week at the Universal Arena. I promised Mike I'd put one purse a week in the bank. He was saving, too. Who's Mike? Mike Burton. He's dead, Mr. Diamond. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Toby. Who was Mike? Well, Mike and me was buddies from the Army. He was a great guy, Mr. Diamond. A real great guy. What happened to him? Mike drove a truck for an outfit here in town. Cross State Trucking Company. We had enough money saved, we were going to get our own truck. Maybe two trucks. Do our own hauling. Be in business for ourselves, you know. Last week, he was fixing a flat on the highway at night. The car hit him and took off. Oh, hit and run, huh? Well, it's a lousy deal, Toby, and I know what you're leading up to. But the police will hunt the guy down sooner or later. I don't handle traffic accidents. Mr. Diamond, I feel maybe it was no accident. Oh? Well, then keep going. Well, last week, night before it happened... Mike says to me, Toby, boy, I got a hunch we're going into business real quick now. He said we might be able to buy our first truck right after his next haul. Mike knew we didn't have that kind of dough ready. What did he say when you reminded him? He gave me a wink and a punch in the arm. You know, like guys do sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy, Mr. Diamond. Oh, well, I see. Now, look, Toby, the afternoon's pretty well shot anyway. I'll poke around town a little, and if I can find anything to back up your suspicions, I'll take the case. If not... You owe me two tickets to your next match. Is it a deal? Yeah, sure. But tell me right away if you know something, huh? I'm in the gym every morning right behind the Universal Sports Arena, 8th Avenue. You know where it is. Oh, sure, sure, yes. Some of my best muscles grew up there. So long, Toby. So long. When he walked out, the office seemed to shrink back to normal. I counted my fingers, picked the one of the most circulation in it, and put it to work dialing Helen's number. I told her I might be late for dinner threw her a kiss over the pipe, closed the office, and headed to the 5th Precinct Police Station and Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Walt was out of his office, but the king of the jungle, Sergeant Otis, was plopped in his chair. Number 14's crossed and resting on the desk like he was expecting a promotion. Hello, Shamus. For a guy who don't work here, you certainly hang around a lot. I could say the same for you, Otis. Where's the lieutenant? He ain't here. No. Well, he ain't. Isn't. Okay, he isn't. And you isn't as smart as you think you is. Oh, hello, Rex. Hello, Mr. 
Rick. What's up? Oh, hiya, Walt. Nothing, probably. But I'd appreciate a look-see at the hit-and-run files for the last week. Might be a case. Oh, now it's traffic accidents. Diamond, is there anything you won't do for a buck? Sergeant, ask me for the next dance and you'll find out. All right, cut it out, you two. Here you are, Rick. Take this note to Sergeant for our hit-and-run felony detail. It's down at the end of the hall. Thanks, Walt. You bet. Otis. Yeah? Sergeant Otis, do you mind if I sit down now? Oh, 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 yes, sir. Sorry, Lieutenant. Farrar, in hit-and-run, gave me the case folder on Mike Burton. Except for a few details, nothing different than Toby's story. Only witness to the supposed accident was a man named Roy Cooley, Mike's driving partner. He had made the identification on the car when the police found it deserted the next day. A quick check on the license had shown it to be stolen. So another lead went down the drain. Only the fact that it had been stolen made me think that Toby might have been right when he said it wasn't an accident. I hit the street and grabbed a cab for the cross-state trucking company. From outside the wire fence, there wasn't much to see. A long line of diesel trucks parked side by side. I spotted something that looked like an office and went in. There was a girl inside. Oh, maybe not just a girl. She parked her bubble gum and gave her blonde upsweep a pat. Can I help you? Well, if you couldn't, I'd kill myself. Listen, mister, if you've got some business here, you uh, better... Oh, honey, honey, I'm looking for Roy Cooley. Know him? That's a good one. Mr. Cooley's my boss. Believe me, I know him. He's not around right now. Cooley's your boss? Well, if you don't mind, I'll wait. What company are you with, Mr. Uh, uh, Diamond. Mm. Richard. I am, you should excuse the expression, a private detective. A private eye? Gee, I never met a private eye before. I thought it was just a kind of story thing. Well, it is, in a way. My name's Patty. For Patricia. I'm sort of a bookkeeper stenographer around here. Sounds like a big job for just one pretty girl. Oh, you're just saying that. I really was lucky to get such a job, especially when I had no experience. Just one week out of business school and Papa, I go to work for a big company at 65 a week. Hmm. And what is the secret of your success, Miss Carnegie? My second name's Jablonski, Patty Jablonski. Hmm. Between you and me, Mr. Diamond, the job's a snap. See all those trucks out there? Well, mostly they just sit like that. We don't make more than 10 shipments a week. You know something? The company's been in the red the whole six months I've been here. Really? Mm. Well, I like it here. I can dress kind of casual, sweaters and things. Yeah. Uh, tell me, dear, uh, did you know Mike Burton? Gee, I sure did. Did you know him? Mm-hmm. How come the boss, Roy Cooley, was driving with Mike the night it happened? He was, wasn't he? Well, I guess that's because Tim Lasko quit a couple of days before. Tim used to be Mike's regular wheel buddy. Mr. Cooley was filling in, I guess. Any idea why Tim Lasko quit? Search me. In times like these, when a guy with five kids quits his job, he must have had a good reason. You wouldn't have Tim's address lying around anywhere, would you? Right on my desk. I mail in his last checkout. I wrote down Lasko's address and paid her off with a few compliments before I left. Tim Lasko's place seemed like the next stop until I saw a couple of warehousemen loading crates into one of the trucks. The crates were marked sporting goods in a big black stencil. And just to keep busy, I found a piece of scratch paper and took down the address they were being shipped to. About that time, a hairy hand reached over my shoulder and made crumpled spitball out of my manuscript. I did a slow turn and saw that the hand was connected to a beer barrel with legs. It talked, too. Looking for something, mister? Who are you? I'm the boss, Cooley. Oh, well, my name's Diamond. The, the union sent You can me forget over to... that routine. I spoke to the union guys three days ago. Beat it, scram. Oh. How come you were driving with Mike Burton the night he was killed? 
Mister, you're asking for it. There's a little sign on the front gate you can read on the way out about trespassers. This is private property. Now, are you going or do I call some of the boys? It hurt me to admit that he had the law on his side, not to mention the lump under his jacket from what was probably the new look and shoulder holsters. I figured to do better after a talk with Tim Lasco. Twenty minutes later, I was climbing the stairs of a brownstone in Washington Heights. The Lascos lived on the third floor. I straightened my tie and put my best finger forward. Yes? Oh, uh, hello. I'm looking for Tim Lasco. Oh, come right in. My husband is shaving. Who is it, Mary? Amanda, see you, Tim. Okay. All right. Excuse me. Call me shaving. Sit down. Thank you. Tim, you used to ride with Mike Burton, didn't you? Hey, who are you? What do you want here? Well, I'm a private detective. Name's Diamond. Uh, now, Mr. Diamond, or whoever you are, uh, I don't know nothing. Nothing, you hear? Leave my family and me alone. Will you go away? Please, go away. Why did you quit the cross-state trucking outfit? Honest, Diamond, I, I don't know nothing. Look, I've been a truck driver for 15 years. I didn't like Cooley's outfit. Uh, uh, most of the work is at night. Too many long hauls out west, I didn't like the job. Uh-uh, Tim. Won't buy it. Diamond, try to understand, will you? I got five kids. Give me a break, will you? <laughs> There was no sense going around again. I told him I'd be back, which he took about as gracefully as a guy learning he had leprosy, so I left. I rode downtown, squatted on a stool in a coffee shop with a good view of the cross-state warehouse. The coffee shop had a waitress who was as ugly as the warehouse. Got a 75-cent dinner special, you interested? Mm-mm. I, uh... Oh, I'll have a little coffee and... A lot of donuts. Oh, well, then coffee and conversation. Is there any chance of you taking me away from all this? Uh, wouldn't work out. I drink. I'll reform you. Want cream? No. One black. How come you're staring at that warehouse instead of me when I give me a complex? Matter, did I say a dirty word? We kicked it around until the warehouse was empty, except for a muscle-bound night watchman who chained smoke behind the front gate. It was a short walk to the fence behind the loading dock. A garbage can and some fancy scrambling helped me over. And then I squirreled under the line of trucks until I reached the one they'd loaded that afternoon. The crates were nailed tight, and it took a lot of scratching and pulling before I wedged one open. About then, I heard three pairs of feet echoing down the loading platform. I ducked out of the truck, but that half-open crate must have missed me after all the time we'd spent together because it spilled over and turned loose a shower of baseball bats. <laughs> I grabbed one since it seemed like a good idea and snuggled up against the huge tires under the truck. Who's there? Hey, Red, you let anyone in? Not me, boy. Whoever you are, Buster, you better come out with your hands up. We got guns. Okay, Red, you and Harry stay out in front of the trucks. I'll go coax our visitor out. He was poking around gun first in each truck and then around it. Sooner or later, he was going to reach my truck. So I sprinted across an open ten yards until I got into a friendly shot of the next truck in line. All right, stay where you are. I can see you. He was lying, and I knew it because I couldn't even see myself. There were three more trucks ahead of me, three more open spaces. Then I'd be at the back fence. I closed my mouth so my teeth wouldn't shine like a beaver at a dentist convention and moved. I reached the last truck and waited. The glint of his gun barrel kept coming at me like a one-eyed cat. I held the bat ready. 
It must have been a well-balanced hunk of wood because it felt like a feather in my fist. The bat cracked wide open like an overboiled hot dog, but it stretched coolly out. I didn't wait for the others to find out what happened, but I took off over that back fence like a kangaroo with his tail on fire. Once I made the street, I caught a cruising cab and relaxed until my breath caught up with me. The broken bat handle was still in my hand. I was about to chalk it up as an inferior bat until a closer look changed my mind. The inside of the bat was as hollow as a politician's promise, and it wasn't for ventilation. It was there to hide something, something that had to be hidden. You're listening to Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Brought to you by the makers of Rexall drug products and your Rexall family druggist. And here he is. A lot of people think that during the summer they don't need to worry about the dangers of vitamin deficiency. But the truth is, vitamin deficiency is no respecter of seasons. You mean we're just as likely to be low on vitamins during the summer as any other time? Exactly, ma'am. And that's why I tell my customers to continue supplementing their daily diet with Rexall plenamins. Plenum what? Plenamins. Rexall's famous multivitamin capsules. You see, ma'am, just two plenamin capsules a day give you more than your daily minimum requirement of every vitamin for which such requirements have been established. Say, that's really vitamin protection. But that's not all. Plenamins also give you valuable liver concentrate and iron, plus other factors of the vitamin B complex. Oh, gee, they sound expensive. On the contrary, plenamins cost you only pennies a day. But most important... Plenamins wear the Rexall label, and you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Now back to tonight's adventure with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. So I had the stump of a hollow baseball bat in my hand and a half dozen theories about why it was hollow. But none of my theories proved any connection between a phony trucking outfit and Mike Burton being killed by a hit-and-run driver. I put the bat under lock and key in my office desk, then stopped at the Hall of Records where Pop McIntyre handles the night watchman chores. Under registered corporations, I found the Cross State Trucking Company and the up-to-now unknown name of Harry Fenner listed as its head. I thanked Pop, then went across town to check through the newspaper morgue at the Tribune. It was an all-night job because I had to dig back to 1926 before the name of Harry Fenner sprang off the yellow pages. He used to be a small-time bootlegger, but I couldn't hold that against him. Some of the biggest bootleggers had gone straight and become used car salesmen. I had breakfast before dropping in at the Universal Gym to see Toby. The king-sized client of mine was being mauled in the center of the ring while a chunky little guy in a black beret was hopping around full of advice. You're wrestling with King Kong Rabinowitz, not Snow White. Use your knees on his nose, on his nose. Okay. How's this? Oh! No, don't overdo it. You hide his face from the television camera too long. What's the good if no one sees him suffer? Hey, uh, Toby. Oh, hiya, Mr. Diamond. Uh, Ziggy, I'll be back in a minute. I know you're busy, Toby, so I won't waste time. You found out something about Mike, didn't you? I was right, huh? Well, let's just say that I'm taking the case. Toby, now think hard. Did Mike ever say anything about baseball bats? Anything. Baseball bat. Yeah. Mm. 
Sunday before Mike was killed. Yeah, he said something kind of funny. He said maybe he'd hit a home run pretty soon. And Mike never played baseball. Oh. Toby, when you get through here, meet me in my office. I'll tell you what I've got, and we can take it from there. Okay. See you soon. Good afternoon, Mr. Diamond. My name is, uh, Harry Fenner. Oh. Well, who are those two bullet-headed characters with you? They're my business associates. Oh, you must be in a rotten business. How'd you get in here? I just had the exterminators over last week. Oh, well, I'm afraid I owe you for a new lock. I'll just add it to the retainer I'm going to pay you. Oh, you're going to hire me? I have here $500, which I place on your desk. Earning it will be easy. Under whose nails do I put the bamboo splints? I hope your good humor continues. Uh, the fact is, Diamond, I collect odd things, like antique furniture, marine life specimens, and uh, old bat handles. Someone stole one of my old bat handles. <laughs> Money's yours if you can locate it. Something like that would be worth more than money to me. An old bat handle would go just right with my collection of old saxophone reeds and croquet mallets. Is that your polite way of saying no? No, it's my impolite way of saying that a certain bat handle is going to win you the hottest seat in Sing Sing. And if you think I'm bluffing, let's see what they think down at the fifth person. Put down that phone! Ooh! He cracked me across the knuckles with a cane he was carrying, and my left hand took the day off. Then Fenner turned to his two happiness boys. Gentlemen, Mr. Diamond is stubborn. Unstubborn him. His two blood collectors came after me like there was a shortage of plasma. I dodged around the desk like a loose guinea pig in a biology class and finally managed to locate a stomach for my one good hand. I sunk it in up to my charm bracelet. But before I could enjoy the reaction, a fistful of dimes creased the back of my head and I came apart. I don't know how long it was before my eyes unglued. I was on my back enjoying a bug's eye view of the ceiling, but that's all I was enjoying. My head felt like a yo-yo being worked by a guy with a DTs. And then something big leaned over me. Mr. Diamond? Mm. Mr. Diamond, mm? you oh. okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, dandy, dandy, dandy. Oh, Toby, if I felt any worse, I'd be dead. Well, that's too bad. It's a good thing I got here. Those guys are doing a swell job on you for real. Oh. Things came back into focus. Fenner's muscle men were draped over each other in the middle of the floor, quietly unconscious. It was becoming. I had to get pretty rough with him. It was two against one. Them and me, I mean. What's it all about, Mr. Diamond? I gave Toby a quick resume about Fenner, Cooley, and the phony trucking business, including the hollow bats. As he listened, I saw new muscles growing on his old ones. He wasn't interested in details. Mr. Diamond... This Fenner guy killed Mike? Well, Toby, I I think Mike found out that Fenner and Cooley were shipping hot goods, probably jewels and the hollow bats. If he did, I think maybe Fenner killed him. Mm -hmm. Where does this Fenner guy live? Well, wait a minute. It's here on my desk. I was just going to give it to the police when I was crudely interrupted. No, don't call the cops. Give me that address. Well, what's the idea, Toby? We've got the score. It's a cop's job now. No, I say no. This Fenner, he got lots of dough. If he did kill Mike, he gets a big lawyer and he goes free. I don't want that, Mr. Diamond. I'll find out. I tried to cool him down, keep him in the office. And then I found myself airborne. He bounced me against the wall and I decided not to do anything until the room stopped circuiting. Sir, 
sorry about this, Mr. Diamond, because you're an all right guy. But don't try to stop me on this. I got up and weaved over to my desk, phoned Walt, and gave him Fenner's address in Long Island. Why should I meet you there? Murder, Walt, and bring some friends. Fenner's house was a big white colonial with high French windows looking out on a big garden. The windows were closer, so I moved up and looked in. The room was a library, or what was left of it. Toby had torn it apart and was now concentrating on Fenner. He had him backed up against a tall bookcase, holding him by the front of his smoking jacket, high enough so Fenner's toes pointed down, trying to touch the carpet a good foot beneath. Toby had the jacket pulled tightly around Fenner's throat, and Fenner was trying for the $64 breath. I want your chum for following in a hot car. That's it. Now, let me go, will you? Kill a nice guy like that. He would have framed me. You're a liar. Now I'm going to kill you. Toby! Toby! Toby grabbed Fenner and I grabbed Toby. But it was like trying to put the brakes on a charging elephant. Toby hung on to Fenner's throat and shook me loose. Fenner was dying fast. And it looked like I couldn't do much about it until the door opened and trouble sneaked in from left field. Cooley. Break it up. Break it up. Cooley. Cooley, help me. Help me. You better relax, Toby. That gun in Mr. Cooley's hand gives him the floor. He's the other one, ain't he, Mr. Diamond? Cooley. Cooley, give it to him. Right in the middle. And then I heard the heavenly sound of flat feet. Cooley half turned for a moment, but it was enough for me to push Toby behind a couch and dive in after him. Quick, Cooley, let him have it. Cooley spun back around and tried his luck anyway, but missed. He and Fenner made a rush to the window, but some of Walt's men were waiting for them. They tried to shoot it out. Ah! Cooley never got more than one foot over the windowsill. Fenner did better, but he was dead when he hit the ground. Rick, are you all right, Rick? Uh, if it wasn't, you'd never hear the end of it. Mr. Diamond, you don't really believe what that punk said about Mike, do you? Mike was a straight guy all his life. Toby, this clean-cut gentleman standing right next to me is Lieutenant Walter Levinson of Homicide. Oh. Hi. Hi. What I tell him is official, so you listen. Look, Walt, Fenner and Cooley were part of a fence setup. Bought stolen goods, sold them out west. The cross-state trucking company was just a blind. Well, that just about cleans it up, Toby. You see, Mike probably suspected something, and they were afraid he'd go to the police. That's why they killed him. Sure, I knew it was that way. Thanks, Mr. Diamond. Well... I better get back to town. Ziggy's got me matched tonight. Good luck, Toby. Thanks. Say, uh, Mr. Diamond, I'd sure like to have you and the lieutenant come watch me wrestle tonight. Uh, Thanks, Toby. Maybe some other time. Oh, it'll be a great show. Tonight's my turn to win. Yeah, well, we'll see. So long, Toby. So long. Um, Rack, that connection between Mike Burton and this racket didn't sound kosher. Uh, 
Was that for the record? Uh, no, Walt. But Toby will never see the record. Helen, honey, please. Cut that Victrola off, will you? Rick, you still didn't tell me if Mike really intended to get mixed up with Fenner and Cooley. Well, he did. That's where he was getting the extra money he spoke about to Toby. Uh, oh, excuse me. Rick, where are you going? I'm just going to shut this guy off. He's putting me to sleep. Oh, I suppose you could do better. Well, you think not? Honey, just sit on and listen to me. <clears throat> I loved beside the Shalimar. Where are you now? Now tell me, honey, how do I raid alongside that suffering crooner on the record? That record happens to be an original release. The suffering crooner is Enrico Caruso. Oh, oh. Where does a guy go to slash his wrist? Dick Powell will be back in just a moment. And now, once more, here's your Rexall family druggist. No faster-acting aspirin made. That's Rexall aspirin. Yes, when taken with water, the five full grains of pure aspirin contained in every Rexall aspirin tablet are ready to go to work for you even before they reach your stomach. So next time you have a headache, remember Rexall aspirin. There's no faster-acting aspirin made. Ask for Rexall aspirin at Rexall drugstores everywhere. And remember, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. <whistles> Ladies and gentlemen, for those who recognize it, the future is for sale. You can buy it now, today. You can buy it by saving. And there's no sure, more profitable means of saving than through the purchase of United States savings bonds. In the first place, United States saving bonds are safe, guaranteed by your country. Moreover, they put your saving dollars to work for you. For every $3 invested today in Class E bonds, you'll receive $4 back in just 10 years when the bonds mature. So make sure of the years ahead with United States savings bonds. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's script was written by Harold Jack Bloom and Joe Morheim. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. And this is Dick Powell asking you to listen in again next Wednesday at this same time when we do it all over again. Please listen in. I'm going to hit somebody on the head. Good night, everybody. You have just heard transcribed Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. This is Bill Foreman speaking. Hiya, beautiful. Get lost, Bristlepuss. You need a shave. But I have shaved. What else do you want me to do? Silly boy, she wants you to go stag. Go stag? 
But why? Because Stag is Rexall's exclusive line of men's good grooming aids, like Stag Brushless Shave Cream. No fuss, no massage, just smooth it on, and presto, you get a clean, close shave. Your face stays smooth and whiskerless all day long. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll go Stag. That's it. Join the Stag line now at Rexall drugstores everywhere. Yes, to make girls care, go Stag. Jack Late tells stories of the underworld, Friday on NBC. And that's Richard Diamond, private detective, with the Mike Burton case, starring Dick Powell, from July 5th, 1950. Also heard in the cast, Ted DeCorsia, Wilms Herbert, Gerald Moore, and Virginia Gregg, with Bill Foreman announcing for Rexall, as heard over NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars you'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another episode for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Diamond searches for Eddie Burke, and counterfeit plates are a big clue. Here's the Eddie Burke case, starring Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective, from February 8, 1952. Makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. How will camels get along with your throat? Listen. In a coast-to-coast test, hundreds of people with normal throats smoked only camels for 30 days. Noted throat specialists made weekly throat examinations of those smokers and reported... Not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Make your own 30-day camel test. Smoke only camels for the next 30 days. You'll see how well camels agree with your throat, pack after pack... Week after week. Now we bring you another transcribed adventure with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Diamond Detective Agency, you spent the dime, you named the crime. Oh, no. Hi, Helen. Hi. Rick, why 
kind of a slogan is that? You spent the dime, you name the crime. Well, it only applies to people calling from phone booths, dear. Uh, well, I'm not calling from a phone booth. Hmm. Then you have no right to judge the merits of my slogan. Hmm. This is logic? Dear, you worry about your millions and I'll worry about my slogans. <laughs> Elva, how is your bulging little bank account these days? Healthy, which is more than I am. I have a cold. Why, you poor kid. Sure, up. I'll let you take me to dinner tonight. That should make you feel better. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, I seem to remember a past generation where the men took the women to dinner. I suppose you never heard of that arrangement. No, but it does sound novel. Shall we try it? Love to. Good. I have two cents in my pocket. Beat me in front of the corner drugstore and I'll blow you to a stick of gum. Oh, Rick. On second thought, we'll split a stick of gum and save the other penny for entertainment. Mm. All right. I'll take you to dinner. Well, if you insist, I'll meet you in your wallet at seven, dear. Bring your own cough drops. We'll have a... Well, I do believe a living creature has wandered into my emporium. Client? I think I put it more elegantly, but why quibble? See you at seven. Bye. Bye. Diamond? That's right. I'm Eddie Burke. Glad to know you, Mr. Burke. Eddie Burke. That's me. Uh, you said that before. <laughs> Well? Well, what? Diamond, you know why I'm here. Don't stall. Sorry, pal, but I can't seem to remember who you are or why you're here. Should I? What is this, a game? Just hand over the package. You've been paid. I have? Well, that's news to my bank account. Now, Diamond, don't get smart with me. Where's the package? Now, take it easy, Burke. Let's get something straight. If you'd like to hire me and pay a hundred a day, then I'll humor you and pretend to know what you're talking about. I have loads of screwy clients. But if you expect me to listen to your wild talk for free, start walking. I don't think I like this. Well, that's tough. No, I don't think I like this at all. Well, that... Oh. Well, I'm not sure I like that gun, either. <laughs> then we're even. And now no more stalling. Hand me the package. All right. Only first you tell me where I find it. Okay, okay, so you played cozy. You planned to cash in on it yourself, huh? Burke, either this is someone's idea of a bad joke or you're a pretty mixed-up guy. What makes you think I should have a package that belongs to you? Casey got scared. Casey? Yeah, she decided the package should be safer with a private cop. She says she paid you a thousand to keep it till I came for it. Well, all I can say is that Casey should never go near a lie detector. I never heard of her. Or you or your package. So put that gun back in your pocket and beat it, huh? <clears throat> You're pretty cool, Diamond. Only, uh, Casey, don't lie. You open the package. You know what it's worth. Pal, you're so fine. Stand up. Oh. Up, Diamond. Oh, suit yourself. Uh, Diamond, <clears throat> I'm not going to kill you unless I have to. Glad to hear it. Now, suppose now, you... don't talk big. You'll be seeing me again real soon. Only next time I contact you, you won't get off so easy. When you come to, if you're smart... You'll get that package and have it waiting for me. Now, keep your hands up. Hi. Burke, you're making a big... <laughs> oh, it isn't fun getting a face full of cold steel. Your eyes seem to fly back into your head, and by the time they bounce into position again, you're not seeing out of them. But in my business, things like this happen so often, I go to the blood bank once a week for a refill. I don't know how long I was out, but when I came to, I made the mistake of dragging myself to the wash basin and looking in the mirror. 
I looked like a bad dream trying to qualify as a nightmare. And then I got mad. I decided I wouldn't wait for Eddie Burke to come and see me. I'd rather find him first. I put my hat on what was left of my head, picked up my car from the garage, and headed downtown to the 5th Precinct and Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Hi, Fancy Pants. How's it? Wow. What happened to your kisser? That's a new disguise, Walt. I'm posing as a pound of hamburger. Nice work. You even got the ketchup. Hmm. No kidding, Rick. What gives? Well, a guy by the name of Eddie Burke must be a frustrated plastic surgeon. Well, he's not frustrated anymore. What caused it, Rick? (sighs) It beats me. Burke came in, acted like I should have a package that belonged to him. Maybe he thought you were a Chinese laundry. Very funny. (laughs) Don't kill yourself. You crack some more like that and I might. (laughs) Come on, let's get back to Burke. Well, I didn't know what package he was talking about and told him so. He thought I was lying and went to work on my face. Well, cheer up. It's an improvement. Hmm. Bless your brass buttons and head. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyway, this was supposed to be a warning of what would happen next time Burke contacts me. What's he going to do, make weekly visits or something? Oh, no, no, nothing chummy like that. He just promised to look me up once more for the package. I see. Well, what brings you down here? You come to cry on my shoulder or fill out an assault charge against Burke? Neither, you sympathetic soul, you. <laughs> just thought you might know something about this Burke guy. I'd like to look him up and play some more games. I'll bet. Well, we've had Eddie Burke down here a few times. I'll get his file. Uh, what's his racket? He was sent up on a counterfeiting rap several years ago. Before that, he was mixed up in about every... Yeah, here we are. There's his folder. Good. It's a big one, isn't it? I'm going to look at a list of his friends. He said a gal named Casey told him I had the package. Casey? Never heard of him with a girl by that name. Oh, sure. She's the lad with the bat. What bat? The one she struck out with. Struck out? What are you talking about? You remember Casey at the bat. Yeah, but that was a man. That... Oh, here, look at the file. The only name you'll find connected with Burke is Manny Warren. Manny Warren? Oh. When was Manny mixed up with Burke? On that counterfeiting rap. They couldn't prove anything against Manny, so we let him go. You think he might know where Burke is now? It's hard to say. Manny's been running a big garage over on 71st. The address there in the folder. Yeah. Well, that seems to be the only lead. Here. You know, that package Burke lost and thinks you might have. Thought that was important, huh? Important enough to bash my head in. Why? I'm just thinking. When Eddie was picked up, we never found the plates he was making the phony dough from. Chances are he hit him. You think the plates might be in the package? Could be. Only I still can't figure out why this Casey dame say she gave him to you. Well, neither can I, Fatty. But I'll try and find out. See you later. I drove across town and located Manny Warren's big garage. From the looks of the place, Manny had come a long way from his counterfeiting days with Eddie Burke. There were several trucks inside, but just one man. A beefy-looking character pounding out a dent in one of the truck fenders. I walked over to him. Say, buddy. Hey. Hey. Huh? Oh. Is the boss around? Who wants to know? That's a silly question. I want to know. Maybe he is, maybe he ain't. What do you want to see him about? I'd like to hire a truck. My relatives are coming in town for a sightseeing tour. Huh? Oh, skip it. Where's Manny? You tell me who you are, maybe I'll tell him you're here. Boss don't like to be interrupted all the time. Hmm. Okay, okay, we'll play it your way. Tell him Richard Diamond wants to see him. Richard Diamond? 
You got a private eye? The private black eye at the moment. Snap it up, huh? Okay, I'll hey, tell Bill, you. Bill, on that blue car, you'd better... Ah. Hello, Manny. Well, Diamond. I haven't seen you around for quite some time. I bet you've been heartsick. Yeah. What brings you down here? Eddie Burke. Eddie, yeah. Uh, okay, Bill, get back to work. Yeah, yeah. Come on in the office, Diamond. Sit down. I'm not tired. About Eddie. What about him? You seen him lately? Uh-uh. Well, what I want with a punk like Eddie? You were pals once. I'm glad you said once, Diamond. That was seven years ago. I run a legitimate business now. So it seems. You must have made plenty off that counterfeit money to start a place like this, Manny. Yeah, just watch yourself, Diamond. They proved Eddie was mixed up in the queer money, not me. Yeah, let's skip the small talk. You know of any place Eddie might be staying? As like I say, it's been a long time since I knew Eddie. He had a girl back then, though. Maybe he still runs around with her. Was her name Casey by any chance? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Nancy Casey. She might be listed in the phone book. Uh, she might be. I'll take a look anyway. I'm sorry that's all the help I can give you, Shamus. You look it. Yeah, yeah, don't I? I'll drop around again sometime, though. Always glad to see a familiar face. <laughs> I left Manny's garage and headed for a phone booth. In the book, I found a listing for a Miss Nancy Casey. The address turned out to be a run-down apartment building on the west side. But there was nothing run-down about the girl who answered my knock. She stood in the doorway with her head tilted as if to say, What can I do for you? Only the hard look in her eyes seemed to say, Don't get ideas, bud. And her mouth? All it said was, Well... Are you Nancy Casey? Uh-uh. Nancy's out. I'm a roommate. Do you expect her back soon? Yeah, she shouldn't be long. Who are you? Well, just a friend of hers. Mind if I come in and wait? I guess not. Oh, thanks. I was just making some coffee. Well, smells good. Sit down, I'll get you a cup. Cream and sugar? Oh, yes, thank you. Tell me, do you uh, know many of Nancy's friends? Oh, a few. Why? Well, Nancy and I have a mutual friend. I'd like to get in touch with him. Oh. Here's your coffee. Thanks. The friend's name is Eddie Burke. Oh, yeah. I heard Nancy speak of him. Your coffee all right? Huh? <sighs> yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, Nancy talks about this Burke guy a lot. You ever come up to see her? Oh, once or twice. I was always out, though. <sighs> Nancy should have been here before this. You have a date with her? Oh, not exactly. She goes out with a lot of guys. Me, I like to stay home. Read a lot. Well, to each his own. Do you read a lot? Only bubblegum wrappers. I read heavy stuff. Historical novels. Uh, good for you. You want some more coffee? No, uh, no, that's plenty. It's sort of hot in here, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I... Real hot. It'll get hotter, Mr. Diamond. Diamond? How did you know my name? Oh, your picture's been in the paper. Like I say, I read a lot. You getting tired? Uh, yeah, I... Oh, no. Oh, yes. The coffee. Shouldn't take long. Mm. Well, you dropped your cup, Mr. Diamond. Oh, you shouldn't try and get up. That drug takes effect fast. You just tire yourself. You... 
You Casey? That's right. I'm Nancy Casey. Find it hard to stay on your feet, Diamond? My, my head, I... Uh, you what? You can't even stand straight. <laughs> the big, strong detective. It was a long, peaceful sleep. I kept having a falling sensation like I was floating down into a dark well. Only there was no bottom. My head felt light, and finally, I don't know how much later, I, I seemed to stop floating. My senses came back, and I remembered Casey and the cup of coffee. And then I heard the pounding. At first, it sounded far away, but it got louder. I felt something in my hands. I tried to focus on it as the pounding continued. It was my gun. Then I heard the voice. Open up! Police! Open up! I looked across the room, but I didn't like what I saw. Eddie Burke was propped up in a chair, and there were two bullet holes in his head, and chances were the bullets had come from my gun. Come on, open up, Redheads! The police! Before we continue with Richard Diamond, here are a few words about smoking enjoyment. Try the one sensible test of cigarette mildness. Try the 30-day camel test. Smoke only camels for 30 days. Enjoy camels' rich, full flavor, pack after pack. Through steady smoking, the only sensible way to judge a cigarette. You'll see for yourself how well camels agree with your throat. In a coast-to-coast test... Hundreds of smokers with normal throats smoked only camels for 30 days. Noted throat specialists made careful weekly examinations of the throats of those smokers and reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. That's proof of camel mildness, the kind of proof no other cigarette gives you. Tonight, start your own 30-day camel test. Make camels your steady smoke for the next 30 days. And you'll discover why Camel is America's most popular cigarette by billions. How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the Camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke Camels and see. And now back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. I opened the door of Nancy Casey's apartment and admitted Lieutenant Walt Levinson homicide. And he had good reason to be there, for Eddie Burke was certainly a case for homicide. I brought Walt up to date, told him about Casey drugging me and my finding the gun in my hand. It's a good thing Walt was my friend. He believed me. Well, Rick, it's been quite a day. Slugging, drugging, now it looks like somebody's trying to frame you, but good. Yeah, What brought you here anyway, Walt? Anonymous phone call. Rick, somebody went to a lot of trouble to make it look like you killed Burke. Who was it, Casey Dame? Yeah, but I don't think she's in this alone. Who else? Manny Warren. Oh, Joe Legit, huh? How do you figure him in? Uh, When I got here, Nancy Casey was expecting me. I was watching her when she fixed that coffee. I didn't see her slip in the drug. 
That means the drug was already in the cup. Well, what's that got to do with... Oh, oh, you think Mandy tipped her off that you were coming over, huh? Well, who else? Besides you, he's the only one who knew I was looking for. Well, what are we waiting for? Come on, let's have a talk with uh, Warren. No, no, no. You let me do it, Walt. You'll be busy here for a while anyway, and we'll have to prove Manny did it, not just accuse him. Okay, okay, you can give it a try, only look, Bright Eyes. Until you find out why Burke was killed and just how those characters all fit together, you're going to be on the spot. I still have to report it was your gun that killed Burke. Commissioner might not be happy when he hears I let you go. Well, you hold off the commissioner, Walt. You should be used to that by now. I left the apartment and drove across town back to Manny Warren's garage. But I still couldn't figure the tie-in. Nancy Casey had lied to Burke, told him I had the package he was looking for. Then she drugs me and Burke is killed. And somewhere in this mess, Manny Warren was involved. But how? I quit thinking about that as I parked in front of the garage and went inside. Bill, the beefy character, was still the only man around. Ah, uh, you back again? Well, either I am or you've got bad eyes. Tell Manny I want to see him. He ain't here. Besides, it's closing time. Beat it. Now, look, pal, don't make with a runaround. Where's Manny? I said he ain't here. You got no right coming in here after closing time. I got half a mind to throw you out. You try it, and I'll scatter your half mind all over this floor. Why, you... <coughs> now, where's Manny Warren? Let go. Let go of me. You're choking me. Manny ain't here, I tell you. Maybe he's home. Where's home? I don't know. <coughs> now, where's home? I, I don't know, I tell you. Maybe that's him now. Okay. Enter the office and answer it. And if it is Manny, ask him where he is. And don't try anything or I'll make you look like I feel. Manny ain't gonna like this. Oh, shut up. Just answer that phone and hold the receiver up so I can hear too. Uh, hello? Bill, this is Casey. Is Manny there? No. No, he ain't. Well, I'll try his home then. If he should come in, though, tell him I found a place I'll be staying in for a while. I'm registered at the Carter Hotel as Nancy Collins. You got that? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Well, that's as good as Manny's address. Come on, Bill. Well, you think you're taking me? To that closet over there. That'll keep you out of the way temporarily. Oh, no, you don't. I dragged Bill into the closet, locked it, and then headed for the Carter Hotel. Nancy Casey could clear up a lot of questions, and I was in a good mood to play Quizmaster. She was in room 312, and I took the elevator to the third floor. Then I reached her room, but before I could knock... I tried the door. It was locked. I threw my weight against it. I tried again, and the door flew open. No, it was quite a sight. Nancy Casey was writhing on the floor with a knife in her back. There was an open window, and climbing out of it onto the fire escape was Manny Warren. I scrambled after him. I was too close, and Manny knew it. He didn't try and run. Instead, he aimed a kick at my face as I climbed onto the fire escape. Diamond, I'll, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Diamond, I'll... Manny Warren took a long trip down. I went back into the room. Nancy Casey was in a bad way, and I phoned for an ambulance. Oh, it hurts... Diamond, it hurts. Take it easy, honey. Tried to kill me, too. I hadn't expected that. Why, Casey? What's it all about? Plates. Those counterfeit plates. All this 
over some stinking plates. The package Eddie Burke thought I had? Yeah. Eddie left him with me for safekeeping. I turned him over to Manny. He told me we'd clean up and leave town by the time Eddie got out. Only we didn't. Eddie came to me and wanted the plates. So you lied and said you'd given them to me. I needed time. I needed time to talk to Manny. He decided how to get rid of Eddie. When you came along, he told me to drug you. He'd handle the rest. Then I came here. I phoned him at home and told him where I was. He didn't waste any time getting here. All those stinking plates, they meant more to him than I did. Manny didn't trust me. This way nobody knew about the plates but him. He didn't trust me. And in his business, you don't trust anyone. Now, oh. I better keep quiet and lie still. No! No, I gotta talk. Talking keeps my mind off the pain. Talk to me. Talk to me, Diamond. Talk. All right, Nancy, I'll talk to you. <laughs> you swim, Diamond. I used to like swimming. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun. Hurts. <laughs> I still. Good. Pain. Never could stand pain. Nancy. Well, at least it doesn't hurt anymore, does it, kid? Yes, Helen, dear? You sure I can't get something to help your face? Mm, not unless you have an old gas mask handy. You poor boy, I can't stand to see you all beaten up like this. You can't stand it. Honey, honey, it's my face. Well, in its present form, I wouldn't brag about that. Oh, now that's what I like, a gal to cheer you up after a hard day's work. Hard day's work. Pistol whipped, drugged, framed... What a business, and what do you get out of it? Oh, a hundred a day and a very high Macurachrome belt. Oh, I'm serious, Rick. Other men lead pleasant, quiet lives. They have nice jobs, nice homes, nice wives. Ho, ho, ho. I knew this conversation was leading somewhere. Well, while we're on the subject... I'm not safe. Dear, I want you to hear the nicest song. Oh, no. I'll sing it just for you. I might as well give up with my cold. You can sing louder than I can talk. Oh, saved by the skin of my vocal cords. Just wait until one day you have laryngitis, coward. <laughs> How much do I love you? I'll tell you no lie. How deep is the ocean? How high is the sky? How many times a day do I think of you? How many roses are sprinkled with dew? 
How far would I travel To be where you are How far is the journey From here to a star And if I ever lost you How much would I cry How deep is the ocean How high is the sky? Oh, very nice. Well, thank you, dear. Only somehow that sweet song doesn't go with that battered face of yours. No? It's like Frankenstein whistling Mother McCree. Oh, clever, clever. <laughs> you know, I could take my bruises and leave. Why don't you just snap off the lamp and then I won't notice them? Helen, at times you are endowed with genius. <laughs> Come here. Uh, and have you catch my cold? Not in your life. Oh, then let's turn the lights back on, dear. I can't stand to see all this darkness going to waste. Dick Powell will return in just a minute. Here's a very special way to remember your Valentine next Thursday. Give a carton of camels. A special carton that's all dressed up in happy Valentine colors. It's available wherever camels are sold. Camels make such a welcome gift. They're America's most popular cigarette, leading all other brands by billions. How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Smoke camels and see... Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, every week the makers of camels send thousands of packs of camels to military and veterans' hospitals. That's to help show the hospitalized men and women of our armed forces that the folks at home haven't forgotten their sacrifices. This week, the gift camels go to veterans' hospitals, Northport, New York, and Madison, Wisconsin, U.S. Army Station Hospital, Camp Breckenridge, Kentucky, to all overseas hospitals operated by the Northeast Command of the U.S. Air Force. Now until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond was written by Dick Carr with music by Frank Worth. Virginia Gregg was heard as Helen Asher and Alan Reed as Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Others in the cast were Bill Conrad, Jeanette Nolan, and John Daner. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Be sure to listen to another great camel show, Vaughn Monroe and the Camel Caravan, every Saturday night. Want to know why you should pack your pipe with P.A.? The bite is out and the pleasure's in when you smoke Prince Albert. It's specially treated not to bite your tongue. The bite is out and the pleasure's in. So if you smoke a pipe and want the fine flavor of choice tobacco with rich natural tobacco fragrance, pack your pipe with Prince Albert, the national joy smoke. Listen next week for another exciting adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. 
America is sold on the American Broadcasting Company. And that's Richard Diamond, Private Detective, with the Eddie Burke case, starring Dick Powell, from February 8, 1952. Also heard in the cast, Alan Reed, who was the voice of Fred Flintstone, Jeanette Nolan, John Daner, William Conrad, and Virginia Gregg, as heard over ABC. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 45 of the Classic Radio Theater after this break. Next time on episode 45 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of Ozzie and Harriet, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>